Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and today I'm excited to share with you a devotional I gave some time ago to the youth of the church that I previously worked for. Uh, This happened to be the last talk, the very last talk I delivered to them. Uh, And in it, I strive to answer the question, if I was allowed only one thing to say to these young people, what would that one thing be? What would the essence of my sermons be? Uh, You know, it's a daunting task for a preacher to come up with just one thing, any preacher, but especially a Baptist preacher. Uh, But nonetheless, I endeavored to answer that question for myself. And turning to Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler, I think... I have a pretty good answer. The one thing for me that rises above all the others for young Christians and old Christians, for Christians of all walks of life and faith, is resolve to trust in a finished obedience. And such is what I endeavor to share with these young people. And I pray that you are likewise encouraged by it. Before we get to that, today's show, of course, is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. Now for a talk on, on the Gospel's finished obedience. Just starting out, in all likelihood, as you all know, um, this is probably uh, my last Wednesday teaching you. And um, so, because Natalie's due any day now, and then my last kind of Sunday here is April 28th or so. And so this is probably my last Wednesday night to, to be uh, teaching you. Uh, obviously, as most of you know, I'm going to be moving to uh, Pennsylvania uh, very soon at the beginning of the summer to uh, be a senior pastor up in Pennsylvania. Um, and um, I, don't, I don't really mean to get all like, you know, super sappy and just like lay out my heart to you. I don't want to do that because that's, you know, that's kind of cliche. But I'm going to get all kind of sappy and lay out my heart to you. Anyways, <laughs> uh, this past year has been really, really uh, amazing getting to know you. It's been like a year and a half-ish or so. Um, and I have, um, it's been really like, growing for me, um, you know, stepping into a full-time pastoral role for a little bit and then moving to part-time at the beginning of this year and just learning a lot, learning all those things. And uh, and I know it sounds cliche to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, and I hope you really take it to heart. But like, you know, I've learned more from you than I think that I've taught you. Um, that whole thing, like, I think that's really true. And I don't know if you feel like you've learned something. I hope you've learned something. Um, but I've learned a lot about myself, 
a lot about who I am and about kind of who I want to be and about who Christ makes me to be. And there's nothing more that I want for you as this time of transition kind of takes us and takes over us than for you to be really truly just firm and gripped in what you know about Jesus Christ and the gospel. I hope that you have gotten that. That's my heart. That's my heart for myself. That's my heart for anyone that I come across is I want you to know and be firm about what you believe and what you have faith in. And I want that to be just at the root and core of who you are. And so I was thinking uh, a couple, uh, uh, like last week or so, what would I say? Uh, sort of like this last kind of time when I'm going to be teaching. And what would I want to have like as sort of like the last thing in your head or whatever. Like that's what I want to kind of impress upon you. And that's what kind of led me to Mark chapter 10. Because there's this awesome story in here. It's, it's in some of the other gospels too. But I like the way Mark talks about it and the way Mark records it. So Mark chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 17 down through verse 22. Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. You'll be familiar with the story. Um, this is the story of the rich young ruler. And so this is the story of the rich young ruler. Verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven." And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. So this is the story of the rich young ruler. This guy, he's called that in some of the other Gospels. I think it's Matthew. Uh, he calls him the rich young ruler. And basically, he comes up to Jesus, and he asks that really familiar question. He asks him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get into heaven? He's asking Jesus. What do I have to do to sort of guarantee my spot in the afterlife? I'm doing all these things and I want to make sure that I'm doing enough. I don't know where the bar is. Jesus, good master, he calls him. I don't know where the bar is, what the standard is, but I want to make sure I'm getting there. I want to make sure I'm doing enough. What do I have to do to guarantee my spot there? And he asks this question. And I think it's a prevalent question. It's a relevant question. Um, I don't know about you. You don't have to raise your hand. But I can tell you, I can confess to you, I've asked the same sort of question too in my own life. What do I have to do to make sure I'm going to heaven? What do I have to do to make sure that when I die, I don't wake up and open my eyes and I'm in hell? What do I have to do to make sure that when I die, I close my eyes and I wake up again, I'm in glory, breathing the celestial air, air as that hymn says? I, know, I, I have asked myself that question too. I want to secure my spot in heaven. I want to make sure that I know that I've done enough to get there. You see, that the, the, at the core of this question is a question about assurance, right? 
This young ruler is coming up to Jesus and he's asking for assurance of what he's doing. He wants to make sure, again, that he's doing enough. How can I have assurance of my salvation? I don't know about you, but I got saved when I was five years old. But then I didn't really come to a real knowledge of salvation when I was, again when I was 16. I usually like to say that I was saved at 16 because at 5 I didn't really do anything with my salvation. But uh, I, I've heard testimonies and heard people uh, testify of their faith. And they talk about, you know, they get saved at one point in their life. And then they later on they get assurance of their salvation. Later on when they're like in their teens or whatever. And this is essentially what this young ruler is doing. Except he's actually going to God. He's going to this good master as he calls Jesus. And he's asking to make sure that he's meeting that standard. So Jesus tells him the standard, right? In verse 8, 19, Jesus gives him the standard. He says, it's the Ten Commandments. If you do this, you will get into, in, into heaven. If you, basically what Jesus is telling him, you have to live perfectly. As, in as long as you're living perfectly, you are going to get into heaven. And I love the way that this young ruler answers that question. He says, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. <laughs> you know what he's saying there? He's basically saying, yeah, I've done that. Can you imagine having the audacity to uh, say to Jesus when he says, you have to be perfect, and you basically say, yeah, I'm doing that. I am perfect. And yet, he's still asking this question. You see through that? You see, he's still not assured. He's still not confident. He still doesn't have assurance. Even after he boldly claims that he's doing all of these things, and he's done them since he was a young convert, he is saying here now, God, Jesus, good master, I need assurance. All these I've done for my youth, and yet I still want to know, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And Jesus is basically raising the standard because it's not just doing those things. He says, okay, it's all those things and then it's even more than that. This is another one of those instances like in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus starts explaining the Old Testament law. Matthew chapter 5 is where Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, right? And he begins explaining the Old Testament law and he begins explaining it to the Pharisees and those in the crowd. And he says, you have heard it was said that thou shalt not murder, but I say unto you, don't have hatred in your heart for your brother. And he equates hatred and murder. And he equates lust with adultery. And he equates love with not just your neighbor, but he says love your enemies. And even here, he says you have to go above and beyond in order to fulfill the law. It's not just making sure you give a little bit enough to charity. He says to this young ruler, if you want to get into heaven and you want to live perfectly, sell everything that you have. See, Jesus is raising the bar of what gets you into heaven. And it says that the, the young ruler walks away sad. And I think he's sad, and it's not, he, he's not just sad because he has a lot of money and he doesn't want to give it away. I think that's part of it. It says he has a lot of possessions and he walks away sad because he has just been told that he's supposed to give them all away. But I think also he is walking away grieved because he's just been confronted with the reality that what he was counting on for his entrance into heaven 
is not good enough. See, he was accounting on his obedience and saying, I've obeyed these since I was young. And Jesus is basically saying, that's not going to count. That's not good enough. That doesn't fulfill what the law requires. Because, yeah, you can say that I've mostly obeyed those things, but you haven't kept them all the time. You know, that's that Ten Commandment sort of test, right? The Ten Commandment test is, you know, have you lied? Yeah, we all have to say we've lied. Okay, we've already broken the Ten Commandments, so we're guilty of the whole thing. Jesus says if, if you've broken one, you're guilty of all. <laughs> and you can go through it, and you can be like, okay, maybe I haven't committed murder, but that's where we go back again to Matthew 5, where Jesus says, have you ever hated someone? That's breaking the law too. We've all fallen guilty, as Romans 3.23 says. We've all fallen short of this standard. What this young ruler was relying on for his entrance into eternity wasn't going to cut it. He, it wasn't going to live up to the standard of God's law. And I think oftentimes we live like this young ruler. I can say I know that I have before. Banking on my obedience in order to get into heaven... Banking on what I can do to sort of win my assurance, to sort of be firm in my assurance of eternal life. And, you know, I'm all for um, assurance of salvation. I'm all for rededicating our lives to God and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm all for, um, you know, making decisions for Jesus and the, those types of things. But I want, the, the thing I want to impress upon you, the thing I want to leave with you is this. Your assurance of heaven isn't up to you. Your assurance of eternal life isn't up to you. It's not up to something that you can accomplish. It's not something that you can win. It's not something that you can earn. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to this young guy here. It's not up to you. Your assurance of heaven is encapsulated in your belief that there's an obedience that you're trusting in that's outside of you, right? It's, 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 it, with your belief in an obedience that's already finished for you. There's an old writer, his, he, was a, he was an old writer over in England uh, back in the 1800s, and he says this, I love this, he says, The man who has truly embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus has cast out, he has eradicated from his life all dependence upon his own obedience, and rests his whole hope of justification before God upon the perfect righteousness of his divinely appointed Savior. He does not expect to earn a single hour of peace or glory by his own holiness of character. The obedience in which he trusts and in which he envelops himself by faith was long since finished. He cannot add one single drop of merit to that great offering which, he has, once, which has been once for all made for his soul and which has perfected his title and his hope forever. You see what this writer is saying? The person who has assurance of eternity, the person who has hope of heaven, isn't a person who uh, clings and grips and hopes in his own obedience. It's a person who clings and hopes in an obedience that's already finished. In an obedience that was already offered to God the Heavenly Father. 
He's talking about the obedience and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Heaven is not a place for people who have done it all. Heaven is a place for those who believe in an obedience that was already finished for them. That's what heaven is. That's what assurance of heaven looks like. Not saying, look, I've done all those since my youth. I've been in Awana since I was five. I've been through every single Awana book. I've memorized all these verses. And Jesus is basically saying, that's not enough. I've been in church this long. I've, been, uh, uh, I've done all of these things for God. I've done all of these things for uh, my neighbors. And Jesus is saying, but that's not enough. I remember thinking this way too. I grew up a pastor's kid. Aubrey and Camden know what I'm talking about. I was in church all the time. I told you, like, I've always been in church. I feel like I was born in church, even though I wasn't. But I have, like, Sunday school, like, in my DNA, basically. It's just, that's who I am. And there's a, a point, there's a, there's, there's a little bit of a tinge that says... Oh, I, I, I've done enough. Look at all the stuff that I'm doing. <laughs> I'm a pastor's kid. I'm doing all these things for God. And Jesus is basically, he, he's told me, <laughs> not verbally, but that's not going to cut it. That's not enough. If you want assurance of heaven, if you want to have assurance of, uh, of your spot in eternity, push your faith in an obedience that's already accomplished. You know, it, a lot. some of you, how many of you are going to camp this summer? A lot of you? Some of you? No. You don't know. I'm, I love uh, Christian summer camps. Um, I've never really been a camp person, like in the camp atmosphere, but it, they were fun when I was there. Uh, I don't think I would ever work for one. It's just, that's not who I am. But they're fun. They have, they, that's really cool and, I don't, I, I'm not going to like downplay like the importance of this, especially if you have done it yourself. But you can throw as many sticks into the fire that you want. <laughs> you know, on like the last day when you make a decision for Jesus and you throw a stick in the fire. Maybe that means something to you. I don't want to take that away from you. But I'm saying you can throw a whole forest of sticks into the fire. You will never have assurance of your salvation as long as you are believing in your decisions for Jesus. As long as you're trusting in what you are doing for your assurance. Assurance of salvation comes only when you are clinging uh, beyond any other thing. Clinging and cleaving to that grace of God that gives you an obedience that's finished. An obedience that's already accomplished by a Savior who died 2,000 odd years ago. And he cried out on that, tr on that tree, it is finished. If you believe in that, that is assurance. If you believe in that, that is confidence of eternal life. That is confidence that no matter what, it doesn't matter what anyone else can do to me. That's where you get that awesome uh, verse from the Apostle Paul. What does it matter what man does unto me? I have assurance of heaven. It doesn't matter if I'm beaten. It doesn't matter if I'm thrown out of this city. I'm going to dust myself off like Paul does and go on to the next one. It doesn't matter if my friends betray me like what happened to Paul too. It doesn't matter if I'm shipwrecked. It doesn't matter if I'm beaten it doesn't matter if I'm made fun of it doesn't matter what happens to me I have assurance of eternal life 
Not because I've accomplished this thing. Not because I've said something super eloquent. Not because I've said something that uh, lots of people have reacted to and responded to. And they've, I, I've started this movement of religiosity. And that my assurance, Paul would confirm this. Th- thousands of people throughout Christian history would could confirm this. Their assurance of heaven. Their assurance of eternal life was the fact that they were clinging and trusting to the grace of God, which gives them an already finished obedience. That gives them a more perfect record of righteousness, a more perfect and holy record of holiness. And so, this is kind of what I have just based my life on I know I'm a sinner more than you would ever know I fail and I struggle the same like everyone else like every single person in this room like every single person in this church but you know what my assurance is when I wake up it's not that yay I can go out and sin because I have grace no it's I can go out and and I can obey and I can I can do uh, my darndest to obey and even if I fail in that obedience I trust in obedience that's already finished that's my assurance that's my confidence that's my boast that's that awesome verse that we get in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says that it's by grace and so it's not by works so that no one can boast, no one can glory, no one can have anything that they can go to God and be like, look, see, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. And so this is what I'm going to bank on for eternal life. And Jesus here, Paul there in Ephesians, they all say the same thing. It's not good enough. You need to bank your life, not on the obedience that you're able to accomplish, but on an obedience that's already finished. This is what your whole Christian life revolves around. There's, that great, there's a great verse in Psalm 63. Um, let me just read it really quickly. It's Psalm 63, verse 8. Uh, let me get there. My pages are sticking. Excuse me. Psalm 63 verse 8 says this. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. I love this verse. Because the psalmist here, Psalm, uh, it's a psalm of David, he's declaring that he is following hard after God. But he knows that it's not that his following is what counts. It's the fact that God is upholding him by his right hand, it says. That's the hand of strength. It's the hand of confidence. It's the hand of firm trust and belief. And what he's essentially saying here. I'm going to follow hard after God, as hard as I can, as much as I can for all of my days. But I know that my following hard after God is totally dependent upon His hand upholding me. The same for you, same for me. You can, and you should, try as hard as you can to live for Jesus and all those things. To bring glory to God's name. To uplift His name. To show love to your neighbors. But remember, your assurance of eternal life is what Jesus accomplished for you. 
is what Jesus finished it. You want assurance of heaven? You want to guarantee your spot in eternity? Trust in an already finished obedience. In one that was finished before you were even a thought. Before you ever even were a thought in the world. Jesus finished your obedience for you. That's what we trust in. That's what we cling to. And that's what our whole faith revolves around. A finished obedience. Let's pray. That's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify. And thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show. And thank you, as always, for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. Blessings.